Wonderful. Thank you very much for everyone who's shared from the front. So edifying again. Last night. Oh, I'll say a welcome as well to the grads. I've only said hello to one in person. Love you all. Love yous all. And love yous on the live stream. Happy anniversary, my love. Those of you who know me know that's totally out of character for me to do in public. <laughs> Last night we did some heavy lifting on sensitive topics. Tonight might not be as heavy, although I hope we'll see implications flowing out from our lives of ever outward-looking, self-giving love of last night. And there may well be challenging implications, so let's pray. Our gracious God, loving, merciful Father, thank you again for the immense privilege it's been to meet face to face and to hear you in your spoken, written word to us. We thank you so much how we've been able to love and serve one another across this week. And we again pray on this final night that you'll please give us the energy we need, help us to concentrate and hear you clearly. And even as some of us have done so far, help us to continue to repent and believe. Help me to speak what's true to your word. Work in us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Who stands with Her Majesty? Last month, Queen Elizabeth II celebrated her Platinum Jubilee, marking 70 years of rule as Queen. She's the first British monarch ever to celebrate a Platinum Jubilee. 70 years of service to the crown. She's outlasted prime ministers, seen through world wars, not to mention family upheaval, all since her coronation, aged 25. Are any of you 25? Hands? Maybe, yeah, that's great. Incredible. But family upheaval seems a constant. Before the Jubilee celebrations, it was decided that only working royals would appear on the balcony of Buckingham Palace on the first day. Only working royals. So you know it, Harry and Meghan, is that how you say her name? That'll do. Harry and Meghan <laughs> didn't stand there because they're not working royals. They have no public duties because back in January 2020, they announced on Insta, no less, to step back from public duties and be financially independent. Not Brexit, but Megxit. <laughs> Them tabloids. Friends, we've heard the importance of family in God's sight. Having called his firstborn son, the nation Israel, God's now adopted us Gentiles through his son Jesus to his family saved by the blood of Christ, with the spirit of sonship in us. But is... I guess that's it. No, is that, <laughs> is that it? Once saved, always saved. Does it matter how we live? Is there any work to be done now? Or could we do a Megxit? Could we step back from public Christian duties yet remain in God's royal family. Perhaps some of us know deep down, outwardly Christian, I might be doing that now. Now we have no shortage of royal exposure in the media, cinema, the peak Netflix series, The Crown. Oof, okay. We can feel like we have special insight into this, the inner workings now of this family, a royal family, but tonight we get special insight into the inner workings 
of a first century royal house through another of Jesus' parables. And I hope you see tonight that not one day is wasted in the king's service. Not one day. Point number one, who can be believed? We're looking at the parables in Luke, and you should know what a parable is now. Our working definition is a short story with relatable characters from everyday life and a hidden meaning of God and the kingdom. They include relationship horizontally, yeah, most people got that, but vertically with the Lord God. So let's revisit the parable, Luke chapter 19 from verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minors and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. This parable has more speaking characters than the others we've looked at so far this week. Here we have the nobleman, verse 12, his 10 servants, verse 13, of whom we meet three, each of them given a minor, which is some money, We meet, thirdly, his citizens in verse 14. And we meet his entourage, like his royal workers in his house, later on in verse 25. And we actually hear each of these characters speak for themselves in the parable. And we're going to meet them. We're going to ask the question, who can be believed? They all speak their different opinions, but whose can we trust? Because it's a tricky parable. Let's start with the citizens there in verse 14. Do you see that in verse 14 again? But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. They're citizens of the nobleman, sending that delegation to the same far country. Now that might sound weird to our modern ears. We're used to independent nation states. What is going on here? but it was common in the time. The king of an empire would would install, his empire is here, and he'll install a a sub-king over there, like a vassal king across his empire to rule the nations under him, the big boss king. The vassal king, the little one, would owe allegiance to the greater king and pay tribute of money for protection by the military. It might not be too dissimilar in places of the world today. If we can see the flags around us, perhaps Hong Kong, whose chief executive now rules with the support of President Xi of China. You might remember if you were on campus this semester, this semester just gone from Isaiah, if you've been to Bible talks, and Assyria was the superpower nation with Sennacherib. And King Hezekiah of Judah wasn't to turn or return to Egypt for protection, which is a temptation from the superpower. You get a feel for what it looks like. That's the scene. The nobleman goes to a far country to receive that kingdom and return to rule, but the citizens aren't happy. We don't want him to reign over us. If it was a democracy like Australia, maybe he wouldn't be king. We nickname our Prime Ministers, no, we don't want ScoMo, we don't want Albo, and we don't want Noblo, we could call him. These citizens make a big effort by sending a delegation. Are they to be believed about this king? Be careful. They represent the Jews who we know the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders reject Jesus, like the wicked tenants of the vineyard from two nights ago. Let's next meet another servant. It's the the third servant, if you like, or the last servant. After the king returns, he calls his servants back to give account of their business, and this one speaks the most as the last one, perhaps. 
could we believe him? Verse 20. Then another came, another servant, saying, Lord, here is your miner, which I kept, laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. A victim support service will want to believe this servant's claim because we always believe victims and there's good in that. It's much better than suspicion that just assumes there's always lies. But that, that belief has to be investigated, doesn't it? It's true for complaints raised around harassment and abuse today. We've got to listen. And it's actually true of this servant here. He said some big things. We've got to listen really carefully to these serious claims against the king that is a harsh or severe man. We'll come back to that. Thirdly, let's hear from the entourage, the workers. They're not a main character. They speak at the end when the king takes the last servant's minor and gives it to another. Verse 25. They said to him, Lord... He has 10 minors. They're shocked. That guy already has made so many, it's not fair. They almost echo that last servant. It's severe, not fair. They might best reflect Jesus' audience at the time and we'll return to them too. Who can be believed? The citizens who hate him, the last servant who fears him, or the crowd, the entourage who rebuke him. It's like, who could we be, believe of the royals today? Do we believe what some royals put on Insta? Or do we believe the queen herself in her few words? Well, let's hear from the king himself. Verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, engage in business until I come. A miner, you might have a footnote there. It's three or four months wages for a labourer. Maybe around 15,000 Aussie dollars equivalent, perhaps. It's not huge, huge money to get ahead. Uh, like the politicians who've sort of said sometimes in Australia, you can use your superannuation money um, some of that money to help buy your first home. And the response was, well, that's not going to get us very far. So it's a moderate amount of money. And what does he say? He says, you get a minor, and you get a minor, and you get a minor, and so on, to 10. That's my best Oprah. Do business until I return. Can he be believed? Well, a greedy little rich man thought so. Let's have a look in the context. Remember our Bible reading skill that was cementing is reading a passage in context of what comes before and after. So you might want to turn up in your Bible to Luke 19, verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was a short man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Jesus is still in that house. So, 
Point number two, what does belief look like? Very simply, it's doing what the king said. Get to work. Which at least two of the servants do. Verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your miner has made 10 miners more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your miner has made five miners. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. It's doing what you can with what you've been given. They each have the same amount. It's not their own money. It's the king's money. And they're simply stewards entrusted with his money. And they each have the same instructions. They might have different abilities, but that's not actually on view in this parable. But the word is clear, put the money to work. And the first servant obeys. Verse 16, he makes 10 from one, a thousand percent profit. It might seem an outrageous return, but it wasn't so unusual in the ancient world. He might have got into cryptocurrency back then or something. The second servant obeys as well. Verse 18, he makes five from one, a profit of 500%. The last servant didn't do it. The money lay in a handkerchief, probably for the neck, not the nose. And he did nothing. The money did nothing. Belief meant getting to work because belief had the end in mind, just as he said, just as the king said. Verse 13, engage in business until I come. Or put this money to work, NIV, until I come back. Make a return until I come. So point number three. What will his return bring? It's going to bring an account. Verse 15 again. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Everything's happening as he said he would. No surprises. But he's also bringing recognition and reward. Recognition and reward. Verse 17 well done. You're probably gathering how highbrow my TV and movie watching habits are. I don't reduce myself to TV trash. Reality TV especially. Except when those TV shows aren't trash like Lego Masters and SAS Australia. Hands up who's with me on the Lego Masters. Yeah, boy. It's like Lego training for those who don't know. And who's with me on SAS Australia? Not as many. <laughs> Army training or something. These two quality shows have quite a lot in common. Both have certified experts in their fields, Brickman and Ant, both pictured. It's not Ant-Man. I don't want to find out what happens if you call him Ant-Man. He'll probably rip your head off. Both shows have a series of challenges to push contestants to new levels of Lego skill or mental strength. Both shows involve giving an account presenting your work. Did you listen to the instructions given by either building to the brief? You know it. It's frustrating, isn't it? Or did you identify threats before moving on? Yes, fellas. And beware if you think you know better than the expert. Boom. I think actually probably every reality TV show has all those things in common, but these are quite 
distinguished shows. Anyway, it's similar here, isn't it? Recognition, well done. Reward, almost unbelievably so. In verse 17, authority over 10 cities because you've been faithful in a little. But unlike Lego Masters and SAS Australia, it's not just first place who gets rewarded. It's everyone who follows instructions. The second is given rule over five cities, proved faithful by doing what he could with what he had as he was told. They share in the king's rule. It's absolutely incredible having proven faithful in little. And it taps into what we're made for in God's image. We've already seen this MYC, we're made in God's image as male and female in relationship. But we also bear God's image to rule. Let's go there again. Genesis 1, 26. Genesis 1, 26. Image bearers for relationship and for rule. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But of course, we fail to rule ourselves, or society, or the world. True for Adam and Eve in the garden, by disobeying God, and it's true for all who are in Adam since. With Adam as our corporate head, including the nation Israel, and every single one of us here. So what's going on in this parable with shared rule if we've all failed? Well, we get a little bit of insight later on in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 24. So let's go to Luke 22, back into Luke's Gospel, Luke 22, Jesus with his disciples. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves? You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They're going to sit on thrones. But is it only them? Could others also share, incredibly share his rule? Even a greedy little rich man, Zacchaeus, or any others? Well, the king's return will also bring judgment by one's words. An account for their work, recognition and reward and judgment by one's words. Come back to Luke 19. Verse 20. Verse 21. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. 
You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He's judged by his own words. The king repeats the servant's words, severe, taking, reaping. And then if the servant is right about this king being so harsh, he should have done something, verse 23. Even gaining interest would have been okay. But if he's wrong, he's insulted his master and failed to obey. Either he's lying to cover up his inaction or he's seriously misjudged the master. Friends... You might have heard many give this response today of Jesus as king or God on our hoodies. He's a harsh God. I can't agree with that. Or Jesus was about love and not judgment. But take care. If this is you, have you listened to the king or are you spinning some logic that won't actually stand up in the end? for everyone will be required to give an account before him. By your words, you will be judged. He judges the wicked servant. He judges those citizens. And verse 27. Sorry, verse 27. He judges the citizens. Let's go to the end. Sort of topped and tailed. As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. It's a very real judgment on view. We heard it in night one, the rich man in Hades. We heard it in night two, the lostness of two sons. And there's an urgency. So again, friends, on our last night, if you haven't repented and trust Jesus as your king, trusting and obeying, would you do it tonight? There's no better night to do it today if you've heard his voice. There's no more important decision to make in life. But what's the outcome for that last servant? Is he still a part of the royal household or is he not? Is he Megxit, still family but no duties left, or is he cut off completely? Do you understand the question? Is this servant still part of the royal household or is he cut off? Let's take a discussion break, take a few minutes together and we'll come back. All right, let's bring it back together. Shall we have a show of hands? Who thinks he's still part of the royal household? Show of hands. Who thinks he's cut off completely? All right, maybe slightly in the latter. It's hard to know for sure. And you'll be pleased to know the commentators disagree. In support of the first view that the servant remains in the household is that in a similar parable in Matthew 25 um, where this servant is thrown out into out, outer darkness, so it is thrown out, he is thrown out, that doesn't happen here in Luke. So maybe he's still in. It's an argument from silence maybe. But the citizens... And also, second point is that the citizens are killed, but this one is not, so maybe he's still in somewhat. But in support of the second view, that the servant is also cut off, is actually the king's judgment in verse 25 is very, very similar to Matthew 25, 29, where he is thrown out. So the wording is almost exact. And secondly, you wicked servant, verse 22, is quite strong language so I lean towards that the servant is also cut off like the citizens 
but what is clear? What is clear from the text? The king will return and bring an account and bring recognition and reward and bring a severe judgment, a strong and real and just judgment. Nothing will be hidden from his sight. I hope you're starting to see who can be believed, not the citizens who represent the Jews' rejection of Jesus, not the last servant who's either lied or seriously misjudged his master. They maybe represent those closest to Jesus but without any real relationship with him because they don't act on his words. And not the crowd who deem it all unfair and maybe represent Jesus' audience at the time. So whose word stands in the judgment? There's a lot of noise. Not everyone's opinion is equally valid, can you see? And it can be very confusing on whose voice to hear. And never has that been more true than your generation. So much noise with all them socials, umpteen platforms to keep your attention into the early hours of the morning or the death scrolling. Dare I say, drowning out the one voice that matters, the king's voice. What about the king? He's proven true to his word and actually very, very generous in sharing his rule. Point number four, is the kingdom near or far? Is it near or far? We've got a few sub-points there. I hope you're seeing that this king is Jesus the Christ. Now, Christ means God's anointed. It is not a surname, but a title. Just like Dave, my mechanic. Here is a taste of focus for you, friends. His name is Dave. He actually works near Fairy Meadow Anglican Church. Anyone near there? Across the lights, just down past the thing. I think East Coromel Auto Repairs. He's a Christian. He loves you guys here. Anyway, that's enough of Dave. His name's Dave. His title is a mechanic. And his job description is to fix my car because I'm not going to fix it. I can't. His name is Jesus. His title is Christ or Messiah. And his job description is to rule God's kingdom forever. So is his kingdom rule near or far? Our key Bible reading skill is context. What's the context of this parable? Verse 11, as they heard these things with the greedy little rich man Zacchaeus, as they heard these things in his house, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to, be, was to appear immediately. Come to chapter 11, verse 20. Chapter 11, verse 20. Luke 11, verse 20. But, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, says Jesus, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's come upon you. Verse, chapter 17, verse 20. Chapter 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Okay, it's come upon you, it's in the midst of you. Chapter 19, verse 11, they thought it was to appear immediately. Which is it? It seems that the kingdom has come near in King Jesus, seen in his preaching ministry and healing but it's delayed. It's delayed, B, because of the king going. Where is he going? Well, chapter 19, verse 1, is passing through Jericho, in Jericho, passing through near to Jerusalem, verse 11. His face has been set there, remember, from Luke 9, 51 on the first night. But more than Jerusalem, he's going to the cross for the task of dying where he did die, crowned as king with thorns in shame on a cross between two criminals. Save yourself if you're the king of the Jews. 
said by three groups of people, the soldiers, even a criminal besides him, the crowd and the criminal. So as the kingdom come at that point, the crucified king, not saving himself so he could save others. His saving work is there, yes, but there's more to do. And the other criminal on the cross gives us a clue. Luke 23, verse 42. Luke 23, verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. As Jesus said he must do to fulfill the scriptures, he was crucified, died and buried. Then what? Well, according to the words of the Apostles' Creed, he descended to the dead. What's going on there? We're not going to spend lots of time on it, but we are going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God with angels, and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Hmm. What did Jesus do after he was put to death? Verse 19 of 1 Peter 3. He preached of his victory accomplished over death. And then what? In 1 Peter 3 verse 22. gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God with all authority subject to him. Where did Jesus go? In the parable, he went to a far country. The Lord Jesus Christ went to heaven itself to be crowned because of his suffering of death to save sinners. Crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of of death, to taste death for us. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. How much authority? The Christian countries of the flags around about us, the Western countries, the developed countries, the developing countries the African countries, the emerging Christian powerhouse. All authority on earth, all countries, Russia and Ukraine, China and Taiwan and Hong Kong, all are his. Every nation that you will see at the Cricket World Cup, the 2020 this year, or even better, the FIFA World Cup this year, or the United Nations, or any nation that's not included in any of those events or organisations. They are under Jesus' authority. And this is why we're so blessed to have international students with us. We have a glimpse of all the nations over which Jesus rules. He's not just in charge of white nations. Australia isn't that. You know what I mean. He rules over every nation for which he came to save his people from. Do you see the rule of Jesus over all? Can you see the nations before you on the campus 
as we've heard tonight in our interview. You could be bold and take a step of self-revelation and introducing yourself to an international friend this semester. I can tell you one thing, as we've heard even from Karina, who sat in your shoes, who sat in your seats now. Karina, who's over there in France, feeling the awkwardness of being in another country. You might feel awkward. Multiply that by a thousand for an international student at UOW to put themselves out in revealing themselves. I know it can be scary to do that, but with an international student, you could give it a go. Befriend one. Take them to your home for dinner. Invite yourself to their home for dinner. <laughs> Bring them to focus for dinner and have a dinner together. Keep opening the circles in self-giving love for the sake of Jesus who rules all the nations. But back to our question. We had a question. Is the kingdom near or far? We haven't got there yet. It seems that it's come now, but not quite yet. Now, yes, because the Lord Jesus has come, crucified, died, and risen. That's that first down, up arrow. Jesus has come, died, and risen. And he's received his kingdom, just like in the parable. But it's not yet come in full. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. The risen Jesus appeared to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What remained was for the Holy Spirit to be poured out and once it had, the apostles remembered Jesus' teaching. And we can see that in Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus says, sorry, Peter. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, and thus he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago, until the time that God might send the Christ, when this present evil age will end. That's the time that we're on, that bottom one. The present evil age will end, Galatians 1.4, and God's kingdom come in full. When Jesus will return, that second downward arrow, and the age to come continues. With the earth filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so we live now in this overlap of the ages. The king rules now, but the kingdom to come in full, not yet. And so the apostles got on with the work. They got on with the work of the king. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. What was that work? Luke 24, verse 45. Luke 24, Luke 24, verse 45. Jesus resurrected. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Have you ever thought, why am I here? Why am I here on this earth in this time and place? Why was I born to John and Gia 
if you have an immigrant parent like me, why am I not in another country? God's appointed our times that we might know him. Night number one, Acts 17, verse 26. And we can know him because of his hand-chosen eyewitness apostles, the sent ones who have proclaimed Jesus and done the king's work, having received his kingdom. The treasure of the gospel that Jesus is Lord has been entrusted to them by the king to pass on. It's not owned by them. It's entrusted to them to get on with the work until he returns. And he'll seek them to rule 12 tribes of Israel in his eternal kingdom. But is it only them? Could it include a greedy little rich man or any others? Any others of us? Two-minute break. Not a get-up-and-go break, but just a stretch break. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. All right, let's bring it back. It's a big week, but what we're doing is building and building and building and building. It's not a reality TV show, but it's almost like that, where your capacity for Bible training and understanding is getting stretched. So let's bring it home. Point number five. Do you stand in Christ's service? Yeah, just a few sub points. <laughs> Who is Jesus? Yes, in Hebrews 2, verse 12, he's our brother. Hebrews 2, 12. Yes, he's made us family members like we've seen this week. But he is firstly the king, Lord of all. So seven exhortations to finish. Firstly, is Jesus your Lord and king? Perhaps in these last days, these last few days of MYC even, you've understood for the first time who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means to live with him as Lord of your life. So as I was encouraged those years ago, pray to God and tell someone, friends, let's rejoice with you and love you. B, he is the king now. He will return. Will you be found to have obeyed his command? 1 John 5 verse 3. One John 5 verse 3. For this is the love of God. Do you love God? This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. To love God and his son Jesus is keeping his commandments. Will you, like the servants we've seen, or like that last servant, will you ignore them? Spin another story and talk your way around disobedience when he returns. I knew you to be a harsh man. What has Jesus commanded? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he, Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Deny self, take up cross, and follow your crucified King. No longer living for sin, 
dying to that and following Jesus. Brothers, it was encouraging to hear some of you taking steps to put sin to death last night. Keep going. Don't be seduced by the world. Gain the world and lose yourself. Gain the followers, the likes, the riches, but be ashamed of Jesus and his words at his return. He'll be ashamed of you at his return. We'll be judged by our own words. See, the gospel. The word gospel or good news means world-changing news. It's not a cutesy little thing, but it's not strictly a religious word. An example is in the story of the marathon. I enjoy running, and this is me with a former focus student from many years ago. That marathon that day was terrible. I think they're all terrible. Why 42.2 Ks? It's a war story. A Greek soldier, Pheidippides, ran 26 miles from a battle near Marathon to Athens. And he brought news from the battle against Persia. No Insta then. He's bringing the news. After running the whole way without stopping, he comes in and says, we have won. And then he drops dead, the story goes. What was his gospel? We have won. Why was it world-changing? We're not talking cutesy news. World-changing news. It's because in Athens they can live in safety and not be conquered in danger. The gospel is about victory and rule. Who rules? Who wins? This gospel is Jesus, the risen Lord, defeated death and ascended into heaven, the faraway country, to be crowned king. And so all who turn to him share his life and join his rule. And it's this gospel that saved us and is implanted into us such that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and are saved. Christians are speakers. The word's implanted in us and we, can, we speak. So do you speak? Keep practicing that speech. That's why we're getting to you to talk to each other. It's been a long time since we've done NYC face-to-face and we're all feeling a bit. I know I wasn't being too um, insensitive, I hope, with the online stuff of day one. But we want to practice speaking together so we can practice encouraging one another in the gospel to each other, but also others who are subject and under judgment now, that they'll know Jesus for life and not the death they're in. There is no greater work you could do in this world than speak this world-changing gospel news in love to others. And arguably, you'll never have more time to do it than you do now before full-time work or family and life. Uni. Consider that before you stack your week with six subjects and four days of work. That's an exaggeration. Get involved with Jesus Weeks. Pray to make friends at uni. And pray together for those friends you meet to come to know Christ. Entrusted with the same thing, entrusted by Jesus to the apostles that reached us, the gospel, as ambassadors for Jesus in this world of darkness. Christians don't belong to this world. But we've been given the gospel that others might join us in the hope. is he really coming is he really coming back it's been 2022 years 
2 Peter chapter 3. Come to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to, keep his, to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Reminder, verse 1. Remember, verse 2. He's coming as promised. Keep speaking this gospel to one another and reminding and encouraging one another. D, E, E. Gifts. It's what I can do, right? My gifts. Yes, but it's not just what you do. We've heard your situation, whether married or even better, in singleness, are gifts given you to serve the Lord Jesus. If single, with undivided devotion to the Lord. Similarly, whether male or female is a gift to serve in love. Serve not yourself, but others outward looking for their upbuilding. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Using the parable imagery, it's the king's work, using what is given, the gifts is given, so that the church will be built up and to keep obeying him until his return.
as you leave university, if that's you soon, keep looking outwards to use the gifts, yes, even the teaching gifts you've been given, to keep building up the church, entrusting the gospel to the next generation. Ask us if you're moving out of the area and we can help you find a church in which to serve. F. Some of you should consider full-time paid Christian ministry. The words of the parable and the king you've been faithful in little your degree might not feel little your graduate work might not be little but faithful in little entrusted with much so will we share in his rule let's go to revelation chapter 2 revelation chapter 2 Verse 25. The words of the risen Lord. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. Until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have, re have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the context, it's not tolerating Jezebel's false teaching and seduction of Jesus' people to sexual immorality will share in his rule. But in considering serving full-time paid ministry, just remember you serve a king who can be trusted at his word and is not a harsh taskmaster but is very generous and will give an abundance to rule. Encanto is one of Disney's latest ones. Thanks, Nat Muscat, for showing me to this film. Show of hands, who's seen this one? Whoa, okay. The story of a, I think, Colombian family? Family Madrigal and intergenerational trauma. The family members each have powerful gifts, super strength, food that heals, I don't quite get this one, flower making. But with all of those gifts comes great pressure. Make us proud, says the matriarchal grandmother. And lots of you have felt that pressure. If you're an international student, you probably feel the double pressure from parents or culture, the crushing weight of expectation to make a difference in the world or for your family. And I understand it's more common for your generation. Friends, this pressure, this crushing pressure, is not Christianity. We've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1. We are totally secure in the king's service because of his service to us in giving his life for us. So we're totally free to use the gifts he gives us to serve him to his glory, not for our glory. Let it deeply sink into you if you are considering ministry. Christ is a generous king in whose rule we will share if we continue to obey him. But could you be in his full-time proclamation, freed up, a huge blessing to proclaim his life-giving gospel, even to the nations, entrusted with that same powerful gospel of the king, that he entrusted to his apostles. Finally, G. For all of us, there's work to do. It's standing firm in Jesus, now and for the future. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Part of the present evil age, to withstand the evil day and to stand. Martin Luther had a famous line. Martin Luther was a reformer protesting which is where Protestant comes from, against the power of the Catholic Church for what he saw was a teaching different from when he was opening the Bible. And the Catholic Church bore down on him and his doctrine that it's by grace we're saved through faith, not by works. And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. It's why we need Christian brothers and sisters. Look around to your Christian brothers and sisters now. We need one another to keep standing firm in Christ. Going to church should be a non-negotiable all your life. All your life for your sake and for your brothers and sisters next to you. Coming to campus, keep encouraging one another as we stand firm together in Christ in this present evil age. Will you stand firm, come what may, until the king returns? Or will you choose to do a mexit and no longer stand with the crown and kid yourself because you're not a working royal? It's a big mistake because he's going to return according to his promise, bringing a good judgment, a just and right judgment, but standing with Jesus now in his joyful service is the only way to live, the only way now and into eternity. Live in obedient service to the king being crowned because of his suffering of death, is returning. Night one, God has spoken, will you listen? Night two, the Father's mercy, will you trust? Night three, born again, will you love? Tonight, Jesus Christ, the Lord rules. Will you obey him? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the life-giving words of our risen Lord Jesus Christ who died our death and has risen again, gone into the far country of heaven to receive the kingdom crowned with glory and honour because of his suffering of death to taste death for us. Help us now, Father, as we hear his voice not to harden our hearts, but to obey and so love you and keep standing firm together in his joyful service as our crown, our king, our life until his return or until you take us home and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.